Hi, everybody. Welcome to Mormonish. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Landon. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Woo. Happy New Year. Let me see if I can do this. Oh, that works. That was not bad. <laughs> this is our collaborative New Year's Eve special with Mormon News Roundup. This was really fun to tape. And this is going to cover the top 10 stories of 2023. Isn't that, Landon? It certainly is. And there's a lot of them this year. The church has just gone overboard this year, making sure to make themselves uh, look foolish <laughs> in so many ways. <laughs> it's been podcasting gold, we have it to has. say. We have so many stories on the back burner that we're like, we want to try to cover this. And we're like, but no, this crazy stuff is happening. We can't cover this because we have to cover that. So anyway, I think that Mormon News Roundup, which is a wonderful program, by the way, I highly recommend to everybody. It's on every Sunday night at 7.30 p.m. Mountain Time. They cover all the news every week. This is a special year-end review, and they were nice enough to invite Mormonish on um, to cover it with them. So um, without further ado, I think we'll just jump right in, and we'll go through the top 10 news stories of the new year. And Happy New Year, everybody, from Mormonish Happy Podcast. New Happy New Year, and best wishes for everything wonderful to happen in 2024. Thanks, everybody. And I'm joined by Landon Brophy and Rebecca, Mormonish podcasting legends. Landon, how's it going? Good. Happy New Year to you. Hey, uh, cheers to you and Rebecca. How's it going? Oh, great. Happy New Year to you, too. Let me see if I can make a sound on this. <laughs> that sounds like a dying elephant. I don't know if that's working out. So I think you should stick with drumming based upon yeah. that. Um, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but it's only three hours to New Year's Eve. Uh, the ball's about to drop here. And guys, I am, I'm in Times Square right now. Uh, the ball's about to drop. This is incredible. Uh, yay. I've, I've yay. been there. I hope you have an adult diaper on because they don't let you go to the bathroom when you're there. <laughs> Luckily, I asked everyone behind me to keep the noise down, so that shouldn't be an issue. But what are we going to be doing on this episode? We're going to do a year in review uh, of the whole year, the news stories. What were the biggest news stories of the year uh, in the Mormon world. Oh, fantastic. I do have some slides here that I, I'd like to share that uh, uh, on the Mormon News Roundup, we release new episodes every Sunday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on YouTube. And we also release new episodes of the Mormon movie reviews on Monday nights at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So we're going to give you the top 10 LDS news stories of the year. And uh, I do have a couple of caveats here. And, uh, you know, I put this list together and hopefully we'll get some feedback from y'all. And maybe I got it right. Maybe I got it completely wrong. I don't know. You guys follow this space very carefully. So you tell me. But we're going to go from number 10, which is the least important, down to the number one. Now, it's not necessarily which articles are the most interesting, but it's we're really looking for eyeballs here. You know, wh which ones went viral, which had the biggest impact? You know, and as Land and I were discussing uh, pre-show, you know, this isn't going to be Elder Suarez ministering in some, you know, at the Tuila Second War. This is going to be usually the things that get the most amount of eyeballs are typically scandals, sex, drugs, rock and roll. That's what the mainstream media focuses on. And that's what we're going to be looking at, right? Typically, you do see lots of scandals, sex, drugs, rock and roll in a religion. So I'm very <laughs> excited to go through this top 10. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, a couple of other caveats. You know, LDS church membership is quite small in proportion to the global population. Um, there's only about 4 million active members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So most of these articles, I mean, if you really want to talk about impact, they probably need to impact more than just the 4 million people who are in the church. Otherwise, there's not going to be enough so it's really the Mormon impact is going to be outside of the church more than it's going to be in the church, right? I think that makes sense. Absolutely. 
Okay, and another caveat, you know, when it comes to the world of Mormondom, you know, we have a number of branches of the Restoration. We have the Brighamite sect, we have the Community of Christ, we have the FLDS, we have Apostolic Brethren, we have a number of different branches of the Restoration. And because the Brighamite branches uh, dominates that uh, particular demographic, most of the Mormon news articles that we're going to cover here regard the Brighamite branch, because that's the biggest branch, right? Yeah, it absolutely is. <laughs> okay, without any further ado, uh, are we ready for the top 10? Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, the, yeah, call me a Mormon one more time. You know what? We're going to call him a Mormon a couple of times here just to make sure it sticks. Uh, the uh, number 10 article that I have for you um, that I believe is the number 10 is the church calling a new apostle. And this was Elder Patrick Kieran, who has joined the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. He was just appointed a couple of weeks ago, and he's ordained an apostle on Thursday, December 8th. And let's get, give you a little bit of background about the churches selecting a new apostle, which uh, filled the vacancy of M. Russell Ballard. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has a new apostle. Elder Patrick Kieran was selected to join the high-ranking body. The news came down in a way we haven't seen in almost 30 years. Daniel Woodruff is live near Temple Square with the story. Daniel. Yeah, Jamie and Jim, getting a new apostle by itself is pretty rare. And when it does happen, members of the church usually hear about it at General Conference, which happens twice a year. But for the first time since 1994, it didn't happen that way. Just hours after receiving life-changing news, Elder Patrick Kieran joined graduates at BYU-Hawaii. As I prepared thoughts to share with you, of course, I never imagined that I would be sharing them on the day when I would be named the newest member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. It's staggering to me even just to say that. The 62-year-old fills the vacancy in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints left by the recent passing of President M. Russell Ballard. My inadequacies, weaknesses, and lack are painfully clear to me. But I have faith in the patience of my Father, the grace of Jesus Christ, and the tutoring of the Holy Ghost. The Church says Kieran was called and ordained on Thursday. The British and Irish National is the third apostle chosen by church president Russell M. Nelson, all of whom have international roots. I think it is a good thing, yeah. Outside the church's institute building at the University of Utah, Sean Koo from South Korea says he feels the church becoming more worldwide. I think President Nelson obviously sees the global nature of the faith. Paul Reeve is chair of Mormon studies at the U. He says Kieran is best known for his compassionate stance toward refugees and victims of abuse. He seems willing to reach out to those who might feel marginalized. He seems uh, to have a heart of compassion for those kind of uh, situations. Elder Kieran will now serve as an apostle for life. He's now also in line to possibly become president of the church someday. He and his wife have four children. What's your first thoughts here on Patrick Kieran's selection of the Quorum of the Twelve? Well, I don't think you can ignore the fact that, you know, he's from the UK. He's definitely got a, that uh, international accent. Uh, I do think the church is trying to uh, portray a more international uh, presence, uh, although I think it's it's a little odd that uh, the church isn't growing in, in the UK. In fact, I think the opposite's happening. So to, to pick someone from the UK as an apostle, maybe that's to shore up the membership in the UK. 
you know, the, the church is really growing in some of these third world countries, which is what we're not seeing any apostles being called uh, from any of those areas. So, uh, you know, to give it more of an international flavor, I think it, it, you, you would think it would represent the membership and where the membership is coming from. Uh, also, I know he's a PR man, a, a public relations uh, man is where he came from. So they talk about the humanitarian uh, work that he that he's done. I, I didn't see any any actual work uh, in there. I just saw pictures of other people doing work and, and him talking about it. So I'm not sure what, uh, you know, what kind of uh, work he's doing uh, on behalf of, of refugees uh, other than talking about it. So that that's certainly something to be seen yet. It's one thing to talk about another thing to do it is the way I see it. Yeah. And Rebecca, you know, he came from the presidency of the 70, which is a tried and true, uh, pool of applicants, you know, the presiding bishopric, you have the BYUs, you have the presidency of the 70. This seemed to me like a pretty safe pick. Is that your take? Oh, absolutely. Very middle of the road. And I'm hearing really good things, though, especially from progressive Mormons. They're very excited about this pick. He definitely has several impassioned talks where he addresses victims of abuse, almost seeming to try to undo some of the past treatment of victims of abuse, where you have people like Cook, who get up there and say that victims might need to look at themselves a little bit. I think Karen you mean like Elder on. Scott. I think oh, you mean is Elder it Scott? Scott. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I thought it was Cook. It's Scott. Yes, absolutely. Right. Yeah. That that's a really hard. <laughs> and so um he comes on and he says, you know, that is absolutely not true. You've done nothing. We love you. We're here to care for you. So that's a very positive thing. I thought it was unusual when I read, as I was reading through the church news, that he had already been ordained. It's a done deal. I thought there was some kind of a process, a voting process, a common consent process that was outlined in the DNC, but I guess they just went straight to it, got him in there so that he can go to work. Yeah. I mean, if you look in Doctrine and Covenants section 20, verse 65, the common consent of the church, you know, we've seen this time and time from President Nelson that he himself was ordained the president of the church in February when President Monson died in uh, December. And that was before general conference. So we've seen that happen several times with President Nelson. He does not wait for common consent in the church. He just ordains people uh, even though that, excuse me, that Elder Karen hasn't been uh, sustained, mm -hmm. he's already acting in the role. And that seems to be the modus operandi of President Nelson. Right, uh, Landon? I, I think that comes from the policy and covenants uh, book that we have, uh, because the doctrine doesn't seem to be followed. I, th I thought that was a requirement that you had to have common consent and that you sustained the prophet before he was ordained, just like we do in sacrament meeting with every other calling. But evidently, that doesn't apply to church leadership. Yep. And Elder Kieran's calling cards are uh, abuse and speaking very strongly out against abuse and also refugees, having a compassionate take towards refugees. And considering the fact that the church has had so many abuse scandals this year that we're going to cover some of those uh, here today. It seems like this was a very timely pick. The church has had a bad year in PR and they brought in a PR man. Yeah. And that seems like a pretty safe move, in my opinion. Any last thoughts on Elder Kieran, the number 10 story? Yeah, I agree with what you just said. And I've heard him referred to as the British Hinckley. So we may see some folksy wisdom and some really carefully worded statements to make us all feel better. And, and it's, <laughs> yeah. it's probably not chance that they brought in a guy from the UK when the UK just uh, just started doing something to protect children in the UK, which isn't happening in the US. Uh, so that may be a, a reason too, to, to pick someone from the UK.
Our number nine story here is President Nelson. Um, really, uh, everything that he did this year, you know, he is the worldwide leader of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So what he does is very important. And it's kind of a cumulative effect for what he's done this year that has reached him into the number nine. Uh, you know, I heard that President Nelson might reveal the sealed portion of the place today, but, that, you know, that didn't happen. I was looking forward to that. Maybe next conference, not sure about that. But, yeah, what he did, uh, there's a couple of things that he did this year that I think were uh, very noteworthy, and they're kind of a cumulative number nine. He received the Gandhi King Mandela Peace Prize from Morehouse College. This is a historically black school in Georgia, and he was given that by the Reverend Dr. Edward Carter Sr., and that caused uh, quite a bit of controversy considering Elder Nelson's, uh, I don't know, seemingly he hasn't been involved that much in a peace process. Now, he did give a famous peacemakers talk. But as far as being out there and moving and shaking in making peace in this troubled world, that seems to be a little bit incongruous. Let me give you one take on this uh, that I that I found online. And I you may not know this, but in the 33 years that I've been practicing law, I have received numerous letters and emails from prestigious sounding societies breathlessly announcing that I, yes, I have been chosen to win some kind of great award like best attorney in the galaxy or something. And that if I will just ship them a large chunk of change, they will in return send me a very nice plaque or trophy or something that I can hang up on the wall so that when my clients come into the office, they can look up and see that and ooh and ah at what a fantastic attorney I am. Because you see, the clients don't know that the whole thing is a scam. In a completely unrelated story, the Martin Luther King Jr. International Chapel will be awarding President Russell and Nelson of the LDS Church something called the Gandhi King Mandela Peace Prize on April 13, 2023 for, quote, using his global, that's President Nelson's global leadership to affirm peace, justice, diversity, and pluralism. No, I didn't make that up, but seriously, it's what's on the announcement. Affirm peace, justice, diversity, and pluralism. All I can say is congratulations, President Nelson. Nice work. You enjoy that award. God only knows how many Mormons had to pay for it, but you enjoy that award. And I'm sure a lot of people will ooh and ah when they see it on the wall of your office. Rock on, President Nelson. Rock on. Let's start with you, Rebecca, first. We have Gandhi, Mandela, uh, and President Nelson. Gandhi, Mandela, and President Nelson. And um, one of these things is not like the other. Yeah, it just seems to roll off the tongue, doesn't it? No, I think a lot of us were really confused. It's one of those things that make you go, hmm, we weren't sure. Um, and was there some kind of a donation involved? I think that's what everybody wanted to know. So, And he did not actually attend, if I remember correctly. He didn't attend, right. but he received it sort of, I was going to say posthumously. That's not the correct word. He, <laughs> he sent in a video. He yes, sent in a video. <laughs> he sent a video. That's right. But yeah, it, it definitely... It definitely caused us all to to think it was exactly perhaps something like RFM said, you know, just sort of in name and for show. But they definitely made um, a show of it in the church news that it was a big deal because it put them on the global stage. They definitely tend to gravitate toward news that that support that idea of the global faith and the global faith leader. Now, real quick, Landon, I have been following this. I haven't been able to link any donations or any scholarships or anything to Morehouse College yet. So I don't know if this was, this was a quid pro quo, but it certainly was a big news article of the year.
Yeah, first off, I think uh, RFM found the uh, special effects on TikTok. I think he used every <laughs> single one of them there on his thing. Uh, but uh, I, I know they made recently, like, uh, I thought it was a $10 million donation to the NAACP, uh, and there, there could be some link there. Uh, that was a few, that was like that was like five years ago. That was that was right when President Nelson took over. So, yeah. Well, these things take uh, time to get in place, yeah. I think. <laughs> they want to see the $10 million spent. But to, to see a leader of the LDS church recognized for this based on the church's racist past and the fact that they've really not done a whole lot to erase that or change that in the recent years, uh, that that's what seems so amazing to everyone. Uh, certainly, he's not out there promoting this. The church may be more inclusive now than they were back in 1978. Compared to the rest of the world, I, I don't see huge strides. In fact, I would say that we're behind the, the rest of the world in making those kind of strides. So it, it, it seems it seems odd that they would give him this uh, this award. Certainly is a big news story. Another big news story was just from this last general conference, uh, President Nelson experienced an unfortunate fall. And again, he participated with uh, not only that Morehouse College Award remotely, but he also participated in this last general conference remotely. And this uh, last general conference is where we got uh, some things that really went viral. For instance, he said in that general conference talk, really three things. Number one, he said, never take counsel from those who don't believe in me. Number two, he said to think celestial. And number three is he resurrected a long lost Mormon doctrine affectionately referred to as the TK smoothie, which talks about how in the afterlife, if you don't pay tithing to the church and you drink coffee, then your genitals will be removed. So this last talk was very controversial. What do you think about this last talk there, Rebecca? Boy, now that you put it all together, was that all really in one talk? Oh my goodness. Yeah. And, and then there was some question because, um, you know, he was not at conference. He had taken that fall. People were concerned because when you're of that age, a fall like that can have some impact. And then all of a sudden at the end, just like this Easter egg, when you wait to the end of the movie, um, there he is on the screen and he gives this talk with these very interesting statements. I know there was some question that perhaps that was AI. Isn't that interesting that maybe he really wasn't even there? So there was a little yeah. bit of a conspiracy theory, but definitely um, podcasters were picking apart that talk. And those three things that you mentioned led to quite a number of episodes from different people because, well, for one, the one that I really just was very saddened by was the first one where he said, don't take counsel from those that aren't believers or believe in him. Because a lot of us come from mixed faith families like I do. And what does that do to husbands and wives that are on different pages when your children are believers and you're not? I mean, it just inserts itself into family dynamics um, where there's this question of, do I listen to somebody that isn't in the silo that I am? So that was disturbing to a lot of people. Yeah, Landon, what did you think about this last general conference talk, which I believe is his most important address of the year? The, the fact that people might say that it was AI, is that when, <laughs> when I was watching it, uh, his eyes, you know, they say the eyes are the windows to the soul. And I was sitting there watching that and I was going, this man has no soul. The, the eyes were just like uh, piercing. Uh, and and I was going, what what is this? This is the creepiest uh, talk I've seen. Uh, but then then when you listen to the actual words, it, it seemed to get even worse. Uh, I definitely, as I heard him say, you know, don't take counsel from anyone uh, that, that's not a believer. Wow. D don't don't listen to anyone else in your life who who, who doesn't uh, ascribe to Mormonism. That was just 
ridiculous. But then then to go on uh, with the uh, TK smoothie stuff and, and uh, you know, I thought the family that that uh, gender is eternal. Yet here he is telling you, oh, you're going to you're going to lose your genitals in the eternity. And, you know, that's going to scare the hell out of everybody. <laughs> hey, let, let's take a look at that clip here that I do have queued up for you. Oh. This weird Mormon doctrine that that he seems to be placing emphasis on that kind of had died down for a number of years. But he's bringing it back. Did Russell M. Nelson just confirm a long lost LDS doctrine that came from the days of Joseph Fielding Smith? Your choices today will determine three things where you will live throughout all eternity, the kind of body with which you will be resurrected, and those with whom you will live forever. If we unwisely choose to live telestial laws now, we are choosing to be resurrected with a telestial body. Okay, hold up. Russell M. Nelson has just resurrected the Telestial Kendall Doctrine, that those who go to the Telestial Kingdom do not have reproductive organs. Not only is this in direct contradiction to Alma 40.23, every limb and joint shall be restored to its body, yea, even a hair of the head shall not be lost, but all things shall be restored to their proper and perfect frame. It's also just plain weird. I'm confident that this is what he was referring to when he said, A Telestial Body. Well, let me get this straight. You know, the Telestial Smoothie is back in... You know, the, the, the biggest part, I think, for me is the fact that I'm living in a telestial body now. You know, you look on some of these folks on Instagram, uh, they got they got celestial bodies and I'm used to a telestial body. That's that's what I'm used to. That's all I can say. <laughs> it can only go downhill from here, I guess, is what we're trying to say. <laughs> well, I thought that the telestial body was the worst body that you can get. And that's, I guess, what I've been cursed with my entire life. So I don't think it's going to be much of a problem for me in the afterlife. I'm just going to put it that way. Yeah, I yeah. think most of us would think a celestial body would have to be a, a, a step up, not not a step to, to restore anything. Well, yeah. and in this case, by telestial body, what they're talking about is a body that does not have the ability to reproduce because, you know, celestial eternal sex and reproduction is what it's all about. That's our end game. So if you don't live righteously here on this earth, that ability is taken away from you. And that, of course, you know, it's a pretty easy leap to say, okay, that means no one has any genitalia, which TK smoothie for your viewers means, you know, the telestial kingdom or even terrestrial kingdom. Cause I think it's only the higher levels where you end up with all your parts. <laughs> Very confusing stuff here, but uh, to sum up president Nelson's entire year here, cause it is the number nine article. I came up with a summary and you let me know if it's, it's accurate. Number one, he did not give any media interviews to anyone of any substance whatsoever. He only left Utah once during the entire year. He stayed in Utah the entire year. And this is this is the trivia question here for you guys. Do you know when he left Utah this last year? He only left once. I'm putting you on the spot. Did, did he go to California? Was it a no, he, Was it to he open was, a mall somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it wasn't. It was to dedicate the Washington, D.C. temple. DC, so that's the, oh, okay, it's the only okay. time he left. Now, he donated his story journals, his medical journals, to the University of Utah, these 60-year-old journals. And I'm sure they're going to be pouring over these journals, finding these nuggets of medical wisdom that have been brought to us by Russell Marion Nelson Sr., don't you think? Do, do we see a Russell Nelson paper project in the future? Oh. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to see what kind of discoveries he made back in the 1950s and how they're still applicable today. He also, number four, went on a temple building spree, which we're going to talk about later on in our articles. He fell and used his vast medical knowledge and priesthood power to heal himself. That was a big story. And this is a big bonus for me. Number six, he avoided any plane crashes or doom spiral incidents. That's a That was big. 
e easy to do when you don't leave Utah. So yeah, exactly. You know, now maybe that is the reason he didn't leave Utah. He's had some bad luck on planes. Uh, maybe he should take the trains places. I'm not too sure about that. The, yeah, number the seven. Spirally train of death. Is that what we're talking about? Now? It could, you know, it could be like Back to the Future Three, where that train runs amok. Yep. It could get yep. very interesting. Three or number seven. He also now I have this. Uh, uh, I have this on a good source that he gave up on identifying women in hats because he's had bad luck in that in the past. <laughs> yes, uh, he now, has. <laughs> yeah, number eight. He also successful. This is important stuff here, folks. So this is a very worldwide faith leader. Number eight. He successfully avoided any interactions with armed Mozambican gunmen. He's had a lot of run-ins with those folks in the past. And number nine, though, he did he condemned condemned sexual assault without changing a single thing or giving a call to action or taking any responsibility whatsoever. And number 10, now people accuse the Mormon News Roundup guys of being fake news. And I just want to say this right, right out front here. This is unconfirmed. So when I don't know something's for sure, I say it's unconfirmed. So this is unconfirmed that he has joined the Mormon News Roundup Patreon. Wow, I'm impressed with that. <laughs> I thought everyone had. So uh... <laughs> so this was a big year for President Nelson. Guys, any last thoughts on uh, President Nelson this year? Um, obviously, he had a big year. What do you what do you think? Uh, sum up on number nine. I think the year's not over, right? We've still got a few more hours. So anything can happen. It's very interesting to watch him and what he does. It's pretty impressive for a 99-year-old, I guess. Our number eight article of the year uh, is uh, Temples, Temples, Temples. Big, big news here. Uh, hey, whoa, how'd that get on the screen? Guys, hey, <laughs> Landon, move the screen. You can't put that up there, Landon. That is offensive. Cover your eyes. Landon, Cover Landon, your eyes. Landon, please go to the next slide, Landon. Who's controlling these slides? You can't put that up there. We're going to get banned off of YouTube. But, uh, can you, Landon, are you controlling these? I, I have nothing to do with them. Oh, my goodness. You can't leave that up there. I am so sorry. Let me see what I can do. Okay. Let me. Okay. I got that. I'm so sorry about that. Someone I got else that. was controlling the slides for a minute there. <clears throat> you know. I wouldn't want that to get out. That's for sure. <laughs> no. I mean, unbelievable. Satan, he's always trying to gum things up. It's absolutely outrageous. I do apologize for that. But seriously here, folks, President Nelson announced 15 temples back in April. And then uh, in the October conference, he announced 20 temples. So announced the 35 temples. And guys, that's a lot of temples, don't you think? It is a lot of temples. But if you notice in that first clip, they're starting to refer to them of houses of the Lord. Not They sometimes will say temples, but in headlines and other places, they're saying house of the Lord. So I feel like the word temple may be being phased out. House of the Lord maybe the one that we're going to be using. We're going to have to change all the primary songs, I guess. <laughs> uh, so saying temple could be a minor victory for Satan. A minor victory. Yeah. Got to watch out for that. We did have some milestones here, Landon. This uh, this year was the first time that we had three uh, temples that were dedicated in one day. But now the church has announced, I believe, 340 or so temples. And President Nelson himself is in, responsible for announcing 180 of them. It's truly a global temple building spree. What's your initial thoughts on uh, what's happening with uh, Temple, Temple, Temples this year? You know, it seems to me that uh, these are being announced more uh, to, to give that distinguished President Nelson <laughs> that he's the biggest temple builder. And it seems like every prophet has to outbuild the other one because some of these locations that these temples are going in, you're just going, are there even any members in these locations? I think we saw Thailand got one, Bangkok, Thailand got one. I mean, really, how many members are there? I grew up in Davis County and the entire time, uh, you know, one one temple in, in all of Davis County for hundreds of thousands of saints. And now it seems like you get a temple if you have 
uh, a thousand people in a country. Uh, so it, it, it seems to be overbilled to me, but they, they've got to spend their money somewhere. Yeah, it's kind of like the Mongolia temple announcement or the Austrian temple announcement. Both of those countries have extremely limited members. We're talking about only a few hundred temple endowed members to be able to utilize these structures. And we also found out from the Wall Street Journal here how much these temples really cost. Now, it's been confirmed a number of times before, but it's been reconfirmed here by the uh, leaking of the documents from the Wall Street to the Wall Street Journal regarding the Pocatello, Idaho temple, which is a slightly larger than normal temple, but um, it's a pretty decently sized temple. And if if you have 35 temples that are announced and we know how much they are, we can realize how much the church is spending on this. Uh, Landon, can you read what the Wall Street Journal said about that Pocatello, Idaho temple? Yeah, New Mormon Temple in Idaho is 71,125 square feet. Its limestone flooring was quarried in Bethlehem and wood for its doors was imported from the Congo. It costs $69 million to construct and is just one small part of a global spending spree. So basically, if you're announcing 35, 20 or 35 temples in a year and they all cost $70 million or maybe not quite that much, what we're seeing is every single year the church is spending a billion dollars on temples. And these are from the finest materials on earth. When the church really spends money on these temples, it's extremely expensive. Well, it seems like where the church has a lot of members, they spend a lot of money on the furnishings. I don't know that that's so true in some of these smaller temples. They seem to just be uh, rubber stamped uh, concrete tip ups. Uh, so I don't know how they decide when they're going to import from the Congo and marble from other places and when they're going to uh, just go with the quick and uh, down and dirty version of a temple. And that's a good question. Uh, we do have from Bishop Kaze, though, one answer to why. People continuously ask the church, why are we building so many temples? Why is there so much money being spent on this when there's so much human suffering? 25,000 people die every single day from starvation. Why are we announcing billions of dollars in temples, but only millions of dollars in humanitarian aid? And Bishop Kaze, really, from the Wall Street Journal article, in my opinion, gave a very important answer to that question. Uh, Rebecca, can you read that, uh, what Bishop Kaze said about the church's priorities and how how they view temple building this year. Yes, he says, we have a vision of the church that is, can I use the word grandiose, uh, said Gerald Cazé, the church's presiding bishop in an interview, because we believe the gospel has to be taken to all the world. And so we see the size of the church multiple times what it is now in the future. So grandiose is the word there, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I have a grandiose vision for the Mormon News Roundup, but it hasn't quite come to fruition. But the problem is, is I don't have $300 billion. That's the difference. Not yet. Not yet. It's getting there. <laughs> yeah, it's a grandiose vision of the church. It's not a grandiose vision for alleviating human suffering. It's for mm -hmm. building these temples in particular. And But some of these uh, temples have received a very icy reception when they have been announced. For instance, the Heber Valley Temple has provoked a great deal of controversy. It has not been well received, even though it is well within the Morador. And Landon, I know you guys have covered that quite a bit. Yeah, we've spent a lot of time on this and, uh, you know, it's 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 heartbreaking to see because uh, between this and the Cody Temple, you see uh, a lot of the church's practices that are being revealed uh, and they kind of operate differently between the two. But in Heber, uh, most of the members on this on the planning commission, most of the members uh, for the city councils, they're all LDS. They overwhelmingly control the government there. And so what they do is they just change the the, the building codes. Uh, to allow the temple, uh, dark skies that have been in place for 
uh, decades. Uh, and anyone who's been to Heber Valley knows that it's a, a place that a lot of people like to go to relax, to get out of the city. It's got beautiful dark skies. And now they've just changed the law completely for the entire county to allow a temple to be built so they can light that thing up uh, and be seen for miles. Uh, they've also changed the codes for water tables, for the, the streets, and they, they're doing everything they can to accommodate the temple. And for those who uh, are not members of the church, uh, and some who are members of the church, that's very disturbing. That's not why they went to that valley to live uh, there. They, they want more of the outdoor fill, and uh, that's really been destroyed or is going to be destroyed if the church is able to push this through. Yeah, like you said, Landon, not only did the uh, Heber Valley Temple have a lot of controversy, but Rebecca, the uh, Cody Wyoming Temple has also been involved with a number of lawsuits. We're spending billions and billions of dollars on these temples, and they are not being erected in the way that they used to be. It used to be that you would announce the temple and it, people would welcome it and it would increase the property values and everyone was happy. We're seeing something totally different in 2023. Yeah, we are. And I think a lot of these temples are seen as destination temples. I mean, it is a place to park your money. It's a place to get um, PR. One of the few places that you can get positive PR, I think, in the church is to put up a temple. But in these cases, especially this microcosm of Heber and Cody, it's really backfired. And again, Landon and I report on this a lot. To be clear, all of these residents say, please, yes, build a temple in our town but let's build it where it is zoned for already and where it's appropriate. Where they're trying to build it are places where it just doesn't belong there. As Landon said, the zoning, so many other regulations, it just doesn't fit. So the residents are trying to follow the law, go through legal channels um, to see you know, if they could help the temple understand that it needs to go somewhere else. Um, and Cody threatened with lawsuits, four different actions against the town. The town finally had to back off. It's just a town. So we have residents in both Heber and Cody that are putting up their own funding, trying to go through legal channels, you know, trying to go through the courts to see if they can make a difference. But um, it's been interesting to watch these residents who belong to other religions at the beginning thought, oh, you know, we're a church, their church will work this out. At this point, all the residents are saying, what is this? What is this organization that is doing this with, you know, backroom deals, lawsuits, a team of lawyers? This is not a religion is what they've all arrived at. It's And and more and more people now that Landon and I are involved in with the Hody, Cody and Heber Temple are contacting us about past temples that have been built or temples that are going to be built in other places. And they're always just in seems to be something a little wonky about every single one. It's really interesting to track. Yep. And we'll be following it on the Mormon News Roundup. And I'm sure the Mormonish podcast will be following it as well. Nobody, nobody has covered the Cody Wyoming Temple or the Heber Valley Temple better than the Mormonish podcast. And that includes so-called mainstream media. You guys are on the top of the list. So we really appreciate that. Now, our next article here is for more scandals here, folks. You know, Jody Hillebrand and Ruby Frankie uh, really made a lot of news this year. These were Mormon influencers. So Jody Hillebrand was accused of child abuse along with her partner, YouTube. Ruby Frankie. So they used to make on YouTube parenting videos on their channel, which was nicknamed Eight Passengers. And Jody Hildebrandt, she was a mental health counselor that was working alongside them. And they were faithful members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and very influential. They had, I believe, hundreds of thousands of followers on, between their uh, social media platforms, maybe even millions. Really, really uh, popular folks who 
people really resonated with them and they enjoyed their parenting styles. Well, we came to find out something very sinister about them this year. It's really caused a lot of controversy and it's uh, our number seven news article of the year. Influencer Ruby Frankie has officially been charged with six counts of felony child abuse. Ruby, known for her YouTube channel Eight Passengers and her business partner Jody Hildebrandt, were arrested on aggravated child abuse charges August 30th. Her legal documents obtained and reviewed by E! News on September 6th, both women have been formally charged with six counts by the Washington County Attorney in Utah. A press release shared by the office confirmed that each count carries a prison sentence of up to 15 years and a fine of up to $10,000. A probable cause affidavit obtained by NBC News also sheds more light on the exact events that transpired surrounding Frankie and Hildebrandt's August 30th arrests. Per the outlet, the probable cause affidavit alleged that Frankie's 12-year-old son was found by law enforcement after he climbed out of a window at Hildebrandt's house and went to a neighbor's home for help. Per NBC News, the affidavit also alleged the 12-year-old boy appeared emaciated and had open wounds along with duct tape on his wrists and ankles. Frankie's 10-year-old daughter was then found at Hildebrandt's home in a similarly malnourished condition per the affidavit. In total, Frankie's four minor children still living at the home were taken into the care of Utah's Division of Child and Family Services. Frankie also has two adult children who no longer reside with her. He has attempted to reach legal representation for both Frankie and Hildebrandt for comment, but has been unable to find contact information, and previous attempts to reach the two directly have been unsuccessful. Frankie gained popularity through her now-defunct Eight Passengers YouTube channel, which she first started in 2015 and followed her life raising six kids. However, she was criticized by viewers for her strict parenting methods. Frankie ultimately stopped posting on the YouTube channel earlier this year. In the days following her arrest, members of Frankie's family spoke out in support of the charges. Frankie's 20-year-old daughter wrote on her Instagram story, Today has been a big day. Me and my family are so glad justice is being served. In addition, Frankie's sisters Ellie, Bonnie, and Julie also shared a joint statement on their respective Instagrams in support of her arrest, saying, For the last three years, we have kept quiet on the subject of Ruby Frankie for the sake of her children. Behind the public scene, we have done everything to try to make sure the kids were safe. They added, Ruby was arrested, which needed to happen. Jody was arrested, which needed to happen. The kids are now safe, which is the number one priority. Landon, this is another harmful story of children being abused who are directly related to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We've seen a number of the cases that are typically men abusing children. This is one of the first cases of uh, women who have been uh, uh, abusing children as well. Yeah, not just women. These are uh, women who uh, are actively involved with the church in developing programs for uh, child raising and and some of the uh, 12-step programs and different things that the church has gone through, uh, these women have been a part of. So that's really disturbing when you see that uh, the people who are uh, helping to write these type of programs, this is the way they're behaving, this is their, their program. It, it almost seems Inquisition style, what they were doing to these children. And uh, just a, a very sad story, a story that was probably overshadowed by the Tim Ballard events that came out just after it. But uh, if it hadn't, I think this would have gotten a lot more play uh, in other places.
Yeah, we are going to cover Tim Ballard here just a little bit later on in the show. But uh, Rebecca, this is another example. There's the shiny, happy people on the outside. Mm -hmm. This is a beautiful family. Everyone looks the part. They look like great Mormons. They're going to church. Everyone is shiny and happy and wonderful. And then you peel back the onion and what you find on the inside is an incredibly harmful mentality that has gotten people uh, really hurt and almost killed and, and people arrested. This is just cause uh, this this reason this is the number one, number seven story this year is because it was big news. Yeah, and when you live a high demand, high control lifestyle as uh, the Mormon church, I consider it a very high demand, high control. You mentioned Bill Gothard and the shiny happy people, same kind of thing. Um, that trickles down into your family. There's strict obedience required. There are rules and strategies in place to make sure that everybody's in line. And if you watched Ruby's original videos with her family, um, a lot of people said, hey, wait a minute, this isn't right. Um, I can think of an example where a six-year-old forgot their lunch and called from school a normal mom would go, sure, I'll be there in a second with the lunch. No, this was a teaching moment. That's another part of high demand, high control. You used your agency. You forgot your lunch. You don't get lunch. You know, that kind of parenting style that you see, unfortunately, rearing its ugly head often in high demand, high control religions. Um, it's absolutely not correct. This is what Ruby was doing. This is what she and Jody together were then promoting in their um, business connections. And as Landon alluded to, this trickled into church programs because Jody had the ear somehow of leadership in developing these programs um, for pornography addiction, things like that. We have other cases, the Adam Paul Steed, where Jody and her doctrines destroyed families, destroyed marriages, just with this, I would call it quackery and extraordinarily dangerous. So this was a really important story, like Landon said, overshadowed because then Tim Ballard happened right after that. We're now kind of revisiting, I think, Jody and Ruby's story as some of these, you know, legal processes move along. It's important, absolutely important. And we'll see more of it in the next year, I'm sure. Now, speaking of legal processes, Ruby Frankie has been formally charged with six counts of felony child abuse. She was held without bail in southern Utah near the town of Ivins, which is where she lived. And also Jody Hildebrand has had her counseling license that has been frozen amid these charges because she's a so-called life coach, which is an unregulated, like you said, full of quackery. It's an unregulated uh, thing that people engage in that gives pseudo it gives it gives an appearance of having you know credentials, but it doesn't. And recently here, uh, Judy, Ruby Frankie, she has gone ahead and pled guilty to these nine uh, four counts of child abuse just here in the last month. Now to the that. former YouTube mom influencer Ruby Frankie pleading guilty to child abuse and apologizing to her family in court. Kana Whitworth has the details for us. Kana, good morning. Wait, good morning to you. Frankie pleading guilty to four of six counts as part of a plea deal. The once popular influencer has been in jail since her shocking arrest back in August, and her legal team says she's used that time to reset her moral compass. The former popular influencer and mother of six who stands accused of starving and restraining her children entering her plea. Guilty. Ruby Frankie looking at her family in court before taking criminal accountability in the child abuse scandal that destroyed her family and sent her once viral social media empire crumbling. With my deepest regret and sorrow for my family and my children, guilty. As part of the plea deal, Frankie agreeing to four of the six counts of child abuse and to serve prison time. 
In an exclusive statement to ABC News, her attorney saying Ruby Frankie wants to take responsibility for the harm she has caused to her children and to her entire family, adding she is taking a step in the right direction to be accountable for her actions. I hesitate to say this because it's going to sound like I'm like a mean barbarian. Frankie made a name for herself dishing out tough parenting advice. I'm only going to say it one more time and then you're going to lose the privilege to eat dinner. Frankie's defense team <laughs> accuses her former business partner and co-defendant Jody Hildebrand of manipulating and brainwashing her to adopt some of those controversial parenting styles. Prosecutors say Frankie will be key in their case against Hildebrand. She agrees to testify truthfully against Jody Hildebrand and in return, the Washington County Attorney's Office agrees to remain neutral regarding future hearings. Prosecutors say it was from her home where Frankie's son escaped to seek help from a neighbor who called 911, leading to the duo's arrest in August. Now, we've reached out to Hildebrandt's legal team and have not heard back. Frankie will be sentenced at the end of February, and each of the counts that she pleaded guilty to carries a term of anywhere between one and 15 years. Is this just a coincidence that these folks are active members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Is that a coincidence, or is there some kind of causal relationship between what we've seen here? Well, clearly these things happen in, in all religions. You see this type of thing, but I, I, I couldn't help as I watched this but think, uh, one, thank goodness that uh, she's pled guilty. This is is now uh, she's taking responsibility for it. That's one thing that I haven't seen the church do in relation to uh, child abuse between the scouting programs and uh, some of these other uh, abuse with the bishops and, and that that we've seen. The church never takes responsibility. They never step up and, 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 and do the right thing when it comes to this. And here we see that some of their members actually did. One of the things that really surprised me on this is, I don't want to skip ahead, but with the Tim Ballard thing, uh, immediate excommunication, the, the second we find out that a, an apostle might be involved, but here we have child abuse and, and there's, no, there's no excommunication. I still don't know that they've been excommunicated and they've pled guilty to child abuse in this case. So to me, it kind of shows where where is the church really stand? They like to talk about protecting children, but is that really happening? I, I don't see any true action on on behalf of the church. Uh, Rebecca, what's your last thoughts on Jody Hildebrand, Ruby Frankie, and the entire fiasco that happened? Well, I think as we all noticed in her statement, she's definitely throwing Jody under the bus on all of this and saying that Jody is the one that influenced her. It's whoever can get out ahead of it, right? She was able to come forward and 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 take the plea and plead guilty and. I think now we'll see a lot of more more things coming out about Jody. Um, and I hope <clears throat> that the church can look at itself and its programs that used her advice and her strategies and her techniques and hopefully eradicate some of these harmful, harmful practices and programs from the church. That could be a whole nother news story. But there are a lot of people out there that bishops are sending in for counseling and irreparable harm is being done by these kinds of programs and quackery. I'll just say that. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I, it looks like justice is starting to roll forth from the heavens. I think that's the saying. And hopefully justice is swift in this case because there's no reason for 
you know, it's just like her, her board members, her, her family, other people, they seem to be propping them up. They seem to be protecting them for some reason. And I think that it does go back to the church because these are very popular, influential figures in the church. They, they had a big following. And if, if there's a dark underbelly to what they're doing, it reflects poorly on the religion. So the ward members, the bishops, the other family members, the neighbors who had to know, all these people who, who most of them are members, they're, I mean, they're partially responsible in the complicit, in the cover-up of trying to prop these people up mm -hmm. instead of just shining a light on abuse and trying to protect children. Instead, we're trying to protect the reputation of the church. That's my personal take on this. Now, speaking of uh, more legal machinations, we have the James Huntsman also tithing lawsuit. It's real. I call it a tithing lawsuit here, guys, but it's really actually a James Huntsman fraud lawsuit because that's what his lawyers are arguing for is that James Huntsman, who was, uh, 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 I believe he's the son of the governor. Um, he's related to the, uh, the, the former governor of Utah here. He filed a lawsuit saying that he gave his tithing money to the church under the auspice that the church would be using those monies for humanitarian purposes. And it came to find out that James Huntsman is alleging in the, his lawsuit, which was filed a number of years ago, that the church wasn't doing humanitarian good or very much at all. Instead, the church was bailing out an insurance company and also building the City Creek Mall. And at the beginning of this year, James Huntsman had a huge setback in his years long battle with the church because the judge at the lower level tossed the, uh, the fraud lawsuit. Federal judge has dismissed James Huntsman's high profile lawsuit against the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints alleging fraud and tithing. Today, Judge Stephen Wilson rejected all of Huntsman's claims. Huntsman sued the church, alleging it misspent tithing money he donated, saying the money was misspent to fund the posh City Creek Center project in downtown Salt Lake City. The church, however, has denied it. The judge also rejected the Latter-day Saint Church's assertion rather, that the First Amendment barred Huntsman from bringing his lawsuit in the first place. This is a long battle here, but the first real strike goes against James Huntsman. He lost it initially, and he went in ahead and appealed it. What, what are your initial thoughts on this one, Rebecca? Well, I think it's a very interesting lawsuit. And Federal judge. We're, oh. Oops. <laughs> uh, sorry. Just start that over. I'll edit that out. Okay. I think this is something that we're absolutely watching with incredible interest. This is different from other lawsuits. There have been other people that have sued the church before, but they have sued more on truth claims. You know, you told me that the Book of Mormon was translated like this. No, it was a rock and a hat or information like that. This is not that. This is a corporate fraud lawsuit where they're saying you, you know, kind of like I'm a consumer. You told me this would happen with my money. I donated it. It did not. So it has a very different flavor. And I think we're going to see a lot of back and forth on it. I think we're going to see a lot of people watching closely and perhaps class actions. I, I know of one already where other people might be able to get involved, but it's a different flavor. It's not over truth claims. It's over corporate fraud. Even though it was thrown out at the lower level, James Huntsman land, and he went ahead and appealed it. And the appeals court went ahead and reinstated mm -hmm. a portion, a portion of the lawsuit, meaning specifically the City Creek Mall, because mm -hmm. we have certain statements from church leaders around that time that the City Creek Mall was not to have been built with tithing. And it seems to be that a reasonable juror could conclude that the church did indeed 
spend money on the City Creek Mall from tithing, and that's why it's been reinstated at the appeals level. Well, a lot, a lot happened between the first and the second one. The SEC allegations came out between those two, uh, which I think helped clarify that there was, in fact, some uh, backdoor hiding of of different things and. And uh, as a member of the church, an active member of the church at the at the time that this uh, City Creek thing happened, it bothered me. Uh, it bothered me that the church was spending tiny money to, to build this giant, enormous mall. And it was a concern I had. And when President Hinckley came out and said no tithing funds were spent, I I believed him. I thought I thought he was telling me the truth. I think a lot of people had a concern. And he was there to address it, and he put those concerns to rest by saying that that tithing money wasn't spent on it. And then we find out that it, that was not the truth, that uh, that the money that we paid in tithings was going into this huge fund, which was making interest. Although technically what he said, oh, it came from the reserve funds of the church, nobody knew at the time what that even meant. And I think it's hard to understand as a as a court, it's hard to understand that, that people, the, the mentality people have when they give that money and when a prophet stands up in front of them or the person they believe is a prophet and tells them no, no, and reassures them. And then it turns out that's not true. That, that in fact was fraud because I know I would have stopped paying tithing a long time before I did had I known that that's what, that it was going for a mall. But when, when President Hinckley came and reassured me, I said, okay, and, and I continued to pay. And I think if, if he can make that point in the court, that the court's gonna, gonna have to say, yeah, that is indeed fraud. Just because you're religion, you don't get to lie to people. Uh, you know, I, I think the case where you, you sell a, a church van and you roll back the odometer, that's fraud. Whether you're a church or whether you're a person, it doesn't matter your religious beliefs, it's fraud. And it's the same thing here. His intent was to mislead the members that no tithing funds were spent on that mall. Right. Instead, President Hinckley said invested reserves would be used and not tithing. And it turns out that invested reserves, there is basically no delineation between invested reserves and tithing. That's why the appeals court reinstated it as the fraud lawsuit, saying that a reasonable juror could conclude that invested reserves and tithing are essentially the same thing. Nate, in developing news now, a federal appeals court reinstates a fraud lawsuit against the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The Ninth Circuit sided with James Huntsman, brother of former Governor John Huntsman, on part of his lawsuit against the church, claiming it misused members' tithes to cover business ventures. He alleges that money was spent to develop the City Creek Center and bail out a life insurance company instead of supporting charitable causes. The church, for its part, has denied all wrongdoing, but the Ninth Circuit on Monday saying the claim about the City Creek Center could have merit and sent it back to a district court. Uh, the news article said they sent it back down after it was approved, but the church appealed it again and said, no, we want the district, the appeals court to look at this, not just with the three judge panel, but we want the appeals court to look at this with the full nine judge panel before it is sent down again for discovery and for additional legal actions. This is going to be, uh, you know, it's already been a years long battle. And, and that's the thing about it is James Huntsman is a wealthy, uh, he's a filmmaker and he comes from a wealthy family. He has the money, the hundreds of thousands of dollars that it takes to fight these lawsuits. Joe members like, uh, I don't know, like us three, we don't have those kind of resources to bear. 
And that's why James Huntsman, this is such a big story for people who have left the church and, and for even, we've seen lawsuits that have been filed since the James Huntsman lawsuits, class actions that are alleging similar things, even from active members. This just, the reverberations on this are huge because even other religions are signing up basically as friend of the court briefs saying, hey, if, if James Huntsman gets his tithing back, that's going to open an avalanche of everyone getting all of their donations back from every church, from every nonprofit, and it's going to open up the floodgates. So this is not only being watched in Mormon circles, it's being watched throughout the world. Any last thoughts on James Huntsman here, guys? Yeah, this is a huge story. If, if James Huntsman is successful, that opens the door uh, for all kinds of class action suits uh, against the church for this. So I think this is a lot bigger story uh, if he's successful uh, than this becomes a, a huge story. Right. And Rebecca, we've had lots of, like you mentioned, lots of tithing lawsuits. They've lost mm -hmm. all of them, just mm -hmm. have been completely summarily dismissed. Not even a crack of the door has been opened. But here we have a crack that's been opened and James Huntsman is wedging his foot directly in that door. I agree. And what might happen in discovery, what we might learn just through the process could be invaluable in lots of different ways when it comes to church finance. Because as we all know, there is no transparency. We have the widow's might, who I will also say is looking at this very closely. And I think trying to see if there are ways that it could help <laughs> the lawsuit. So stay tuned. Yeah. And the church at the lower level, when James Huntsman initially filed the lawsuit, he said, we need discovery so that we know what the church's assets are. And the church fought that discovery. So if we get discovery in this and it is leaked or it is made available to the public, it's going to shine a huge light on the in interior opaque finances of the church. I mean, there's just so many reverberations from this particular case. It's fascinating. We're going to be watching it here at the Mormon News Roundup. Another big news article that happened up there in Idaho, the biggest bombshell, Lori Vallow Daybell, you know, she was on a murder trial after an Idaho mom. She got life in prison without the possibility of parole. She was convicted of murdering her two kids and conspiring to kill her husband, Chad Daybell's first wife. And we got the uh, courtroom reaction, the entire drama here. She was found guilty uh, a few months ago of uh, conspiring to commit murder and committing murder. And this, you know, this is from USA Today, guys. This isn't from East Idaho News. This isn't from the KSL. This, this was a national story and it's a big one, which is why it's on our number five. In the district court of the seventh judicial district of the state of Idaho, in a for the county of Fremont, state of Idaho plaintiff versus Lori Noreen Ballow, AKA Lori Noreen Daybell defendant, is Lori Noreen Ballow not guilty or guilty of first-degree murder of Kylie Ryan? Answer, guilty. Is Lori Noreen Ballow not guilty or guilty of first-degree murder of Joshua Jackson Ballow? Answer, guilty. Well, basically here from this particular article, you know, True crime is one of the biggest uh, genres out there. You know, it's number one on Netflix. It's number one on Hulu time and time again. And when you mix true crime with bizarre Mormon offshoot beliefs, it really goes viral. That's why there's a lot of views on this, Rebecca. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you go to Netflix or Hulu anywhere, you're going to find multiple documentaries on Mormon crime. And the Lori Vallow case, the whole Daybell case, it's just such a tragedy. We've talked about it before. I think the interesting part about um, when she was when, you know, she was found guilty and then she was allowed to make a statement. And right there, you see Mormon beliefs twisted in a way that I think the church never wants to get out in public. She talks about, you know, the pre-existence. She talks about living before. She talks about living after life. She talks about how she knows her children are still alive. They're happy. They're busy in the next life. You know, everything is just fine. And, and these are just the twisted doctrines 
that nobody wants to see out in public. And of course, people people who are LDS recognize them and like, oh yeah, this is our belief, but she's taken it to a whole new twisted level. People who aren't LDS are like, what is this? So yeah, definitely they don't want this on display, but there it was in her statement, incredibly disturbing. Yeah, Landon, I mean, this really went viral and she's bearing her testimony in her mm -hmm. final statement. And when you listen to her testimony, it sounds just like a fast mm -hmm. testimony meeting. Mm -hmm. She's still a Mormon in many ways through and through. Yeah, the thing that's really interesting to me is that, you know, it used to be that when you had these kind of far out uh, weird ideas uh, where people just seem to go crazy and, and you end up with having people killed or whatnot, it, it always seemed to be men. Uh, it's it's amazing to me how many women are in the news right now doing this kind of stuff. You know, we just did the the Hildebrandt and and Ruby Frank. Uh, Hulu's got a movie coming out that's going to be on the uh, LeBaron uh, mm -hmm. sisters and and the, what what they did. And you know, we had the the Bonnie Corden incident that we've had. So we're seeing where the the news of women being involved in these type of incidences is is increasing greatly. Uh, so you, ha you have to ask yourself, why are so many Mormon women becoming involved in this? I don't think you can't not look at the culture and say, is there something in the culture that, uh, that that's breeding this? You know, she was a convicted life without the possibility of parole, but she's going to be extradited. In fact, she already has just a short time ago. She was extradited from Idaho back down to Arizona, which is where she was originally from, to face additional murder charges. She's already got three murder charges. She's going to face another one for one, another one of her former husbands, of Alex, who also ended up dead, killing Charles Vowell. Yes, that's, that's what it is. And she's back to face um, more charges in Arizona. I join you now with a Fox 10 News alert. The, uh, it's a legal update on the so-called doomsday mom, Lori Vallow. And here is the update. She has been extradited to Arizona, and she has just been booked into jail in Maricopa County, her mugshot having just been released. She was booked into jail locally here on two murder conspiracy charges, one in relation to the death of her fourth husband, Charles Vallow, right. the second connected to the ex-husband of her niece. Lori Vallow has already been found guilty on murder charges in Idaho for killing her two children. Her husband, Chad Daybell, is facing murder charges in their deaths. And just yesterday, a judge in Idaho ruled the public does have a right to know what's going to be going on in that trial and that it will be live streamed. That will be the Chad Daybell trial. So there'll be great interest in that. No doubt both up in Idaho and here in the Valley, but Lori Vallow now, people have been wondering for some time when that extradition would happen. It has happened. She has been booked. And now the mugshot just released from here in Maricopa County. They did an entire series on this. I believe it was on Netflix, Sins of Our Mother. And that was like number one of the number one trending news uh, media events of the entire year. People tuned in for it. It was hundreds of or millions of views. And now she's been found guilty. She's going to have another trial. This is going to be big news again in 2024 as well. What's your last thoughts on the Mormon doomsday mom here, Landon? I think we're just going to see more and more uh, things come out that were that just make us shake our head again in 2024. Another one that Landon um, didn't mention in his long list of women, the spring troubadour who kidnapped her Davidic servant child. And, you know, and the themes are all there. It's the end of the world. I have a special mission. I've had a near death experience. I have my own visions. You know, I know what's happening. I need to save the world. And like Landon said, there's just there's something baked in where these doctrines and the, these ideas, they're not that far off. They've just been taken to a whole nother, extremely disturbing, extremely 
destructive level. And I believe we'll see it again. It's an undercurrent and it's never tamped down by the church, this extremism ever. It's just kind of bubbling there and then it rises up and these things happen. It's going to happen again. Yeah, the Spring Thibodeau, unfortunately, that didn't make our top 10 list for sure. But, uh, you know, Lori Vallow, Chad Dable, they were temple workers, I believe, up mm -hmm. in Idaho up until just a couple of mm -hmm. weeks before they committed the murder. So mm -hmm. if people really like to feast on the hypocrisy of people who present an outward Christian veneer, but inside are homicidal doomsday maniacs, that type of hypocrisy really drives a lot of views, which is what we're seeing for this uh, for, for this particular article. You know, and we've had a lot of controversies uh, for this particular year and uh, the Arizona sex abuse case, which, again, that, that was really from the prior year. But it's still reverberated for this particular year as well. It's still a big, big article here brought to us by Michael Resendez, the famed reporter who also brought us Floodlit, the uh, documentary on the Catholic Church's continuous of a covering up of sex predators within its ranks of priests. So he's a very storied and very um, honored, venerated journalist. And he shined his incredible journalistic spotlight on the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in a particular case in Arizona where a Mr. Paul Adams repeatedly abused his children for a period of seven years, his two young children. One was only uh, a newborn and the other was um, very, very young. He abused them for seven years. He confessed it to two Mormon bishops during that period of time, but those Mormon bishops, they did not report it to law enforcement. Eventually, Mr. Adams was found out by posting his disgusting actions on the internet and his videos were linked back to him using IP addresses. What happened is that the, the lawyers representing the girls, Paul Adams later on committed suicide, but the lawyers who representing the girls, they sued the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints because those bishops did not report the abuse to law enforcement. And it ended up going all the way through, it was at Cochise County originally, and then it eventually it was appealed all the way up to the Arizona Supreme Court. And the Arizona court upholds the the what is called the priest penitent privilege or the clergy penitent privilege, meaning that those bishops, they had no obligation to report the child abuse. The church was exonerated at the Supreme Court level in this particular case, which a lot of people uh, took issue with. I think there's a difference between uh, legal, what they're required to do, and morally what they're required to do. When you find out that something is happening to a child uh, and, and you have information that could protect that child, uh, what What is your moral obligation, whether you're a church or whether you're a doctor or whether you're just the, the, the next door neighbor? What, what is your moral obligation to do in this case? And I, I think the church has lost all sense of moral obligation. I, I, I mean, I understand, well, if, if we tell, you know, the, the confessional is, is sacred and if someone comes and confesses, well, th that's fine if it's a sin. But when it's a crime, the confessional should no longer be, be used to hide criminal action. And that's what the church is doing. And the church was proud of the fact that they uh, were able to stand up and win this. Uh, meanwhile, uh, you know, children were uh, horribly raped and, and, and sodomized and other things that happened. They're just unspeakable. Uh, things that the Bible says, you know, if anyone uh, harms a little one, you know, it's better that they have the millstone tied around their neck. And yet the church seems to protect this uh, because they want to protect their power. And, and I, I, I don't think I've found anybody who thinks that, the, that this is a good idea to protect people like this uh, through the confessional other than the churches themselves.
Yeah, so the Supreme Court, Rebecca, the Supreme Court said that clergy penitent privileges in Arizona is perfectly legal and that the bishops did nothing wrong. So therefore, it was sent back from the uh, Supreme Court in Arizona down to the appeals court level. There's the three levels there. It was at the appeals court level that the Arizona court cites clergy privilege and went ahead and dismissed the lawsuit against the church. Um, and that's, you know, caused a lot of controversy both within and without the church. And I think if you really dig into it, there's a very good podcast that RFM did, um, who is an attorney going through it. And the law, most of us can't exactly understand what that means. But basically, they didn't have to report it, but nothing would have happened if they did. That's the issue that is so disturbing. And um, to quote the movie Spotlight, this really shown a spotlight on the process as far as the church is concerned when there is abuse or something. We learned so much from this case about the hotline. When you're a bishop or a leader and somebody tells you something, you call a church hotline where, you know, you're basically given over to lawyers to be told how to handle what are your rights? What can you do? What can't you do? There really isn't that I see any care and protection of children. It's care and protection of the church, um, perhaps the volunteer lay leaders. Although I don't know, those two bishops, I think they're, they're definitely uh, rethinking <laughs> maybe their mantle and their commitment because there's definitely a lot of um, public opinion as far as what they did, but it just, it just blew it wide open as far as all of us understanding what really happens when you go to your bishop to talk about something. I also thought it was interesting how many people signed like amicus briefs who were on board, protect that clergy, um, penitent, however you say it. I've heard it said different ways of, you know, the confidentiality. There are, there are different reasons at play why the church and churches in general want that protected. But then as Landon said, the children or anybody that's being abused, they seem to get kind of lost in that shuffle. So it's a big issue. There are lots of ins and outs, and I think we'll still see it discussed. But the most horrifying thing that came out, I think, is that statement where the church said, we're pleased with the result. They could have said it in a different way. There's there's nothing pleasing about anything about this case at all. Well, they're going to appeal this as well, but unfortunately, it's not looking good. But you, you mentioned, Rebecca, the statement that the church released after the uh, courts ruled in the church's favor. The Bill Maladon, the church's attorney who handled the case, said in a statement to the Deseret News, quote, we are pleased with the Arizona Superior Court's decision granting summary judgment for the church and its clergy and dismissing the plaintiff's claims. Contrary to some news reports and exaggerated allegations, the court found that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and its clergy handled this matter consistent with Arizona law. Looks like, Landon, that the church is really pleased about how this all turned out. Yeah, they absolutely are. Uh, and and like uh, Rebecca said, I believe that the church is more concerned about protecting the church. Uh, and that's what this hotline is. And we've learned in, in a couple other cases recently that the church sends in their their people from the hotline to come and and, and to start talking to the to the members uh, to avoid being sued by them. Uh, and when you take that and the clergy reports it to legal counsel now, where's the clergy penitent here? It seems to be more a lawyer penitent uh, action at this point. Uh, so that that to me is the really disturbing part. And it, it also brings up some questions with the lay leadership. Uh, I believe that the bishop was was the doctor of the wife. Mm -hmm. um, if, if he finds out and a doctor's required to report, but a clergy isn't, but he's playing the role of both, what role do, now does he have to report this? So I, I think this is bigger than just clergy penitent. What do you do in lay leadership positions in this case?
This this was a big story in 2022. This was a big story in 2023. And um, it, uh, the appeals process, it's going to continue to be a big story. Child sex abuse in the church is going to continue to lead the headlines because of the church's failure to do a number of things like background checks for the leaders who are working with children or taking any responsibility whatsoever or making sure that its leaders are following best practices of, uh, of, teacher, uh, of training for bishops and making sure that they are some some people need to be certified in positions within the church to be able to handle sexual abuse claims. And like you said, in changing the hotline for instead of protecting the church, we need to value the victims instead of the church's bottom line. Rebecca, what's your last thoughts on our number four story, the Arizona sex abuse case? Yeah, I just feel like this is one of many that are coming out. Like Landon mentioned, the Boy Scouts. And, you know, unfortunately, I feel like there may be more until finally people stand up and something happens but definitely sad. That picture that they showed, they just showed the victim, just her hands hugging her adoptive mother and just heartbreaking. You know, she's a, she's a young girl and the horrific things that happened to her and no protection from church or state. Yeah. And that's the crazy thing is our number two slash number three story also deals with sex abuse as well. It's just, it's absolutely rampant. Our number two and number three story is kind of combined because they're so intertwined. We have Tim Ballard and we have M. Russell Ballard, and they really made the news starting around this uh, last couple of months here. Here we have Mr. Tim Ballard. And by the way, there's no relationship between these two testifying before Congress. Rumor is uh, that he's been excommunicated or his membership has been withdrawn from the church. But before this all happened, uh, Landon, who the heck is Tim Ballard for those of those people out here who don't know who he is? Well, Tim Ballard uh, is a, a man who started out uh, Operation Underground Railroad or O-U-R, uh, whose mission statement is to uh, fight uh, child sex trafficking and human trafficking. Uh, he's built an organization that's just bringing in millions and millions of dollars. Uh, a lot of that supported by LDS church members, although not all. A, a lot of Christian groups have jumped on and just other people who are concerned. Uh, recently, Sound of Freedom is the movie that came out that uh, was supposedly the true story of Tim Ballard, or based on the true story of Tim Ballard, it was very, very, very loosely <laughs> based on that, we find out. It's been raising a lot of money. He raised a lot of money, and it turns out that uh, he was actually utilizing uh, these ruses to uh, engage in uh, sexual predatory uh, actions himself, or at least that's what's alleged at this point. This is what came out here, Rebecca. We got damning details of a lawsuit against the Sound of Freedom hero. He was a hero in Mormon circles and really throughout the world. He was he 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 built the persona that I'm rescuing children from being sex trafficked in these far flung places. And he used to say, I've rescued seven thousand children. And if you just make a donation to either the OUR organization or his spear organization, you too can help rescue these children. And that was a message that really resonated with a lot of people. But we came to find out that once again that what you got up front, the claims that were made when you peeled back the onion, absolutely disgusting on the interior. That's true. He was definitely a golden child and people knew him as the founder of OUR. They knew him from Sound of Freedom, uh, but it wasn't until it was floated that he possibly might be running um, for a political position, Senator, um, that all hell broke loose. We got these allegations here that uh, a number of women, multiple women, are filed allegations against Tim Ballard and OUR claiming sexual assault, battery, and some really horrific details. We've learned both Ballard and Operation Underground Railroad and others are now being sued in a Utah court. 
It's a story Fox 13 News investigative team has been following for three years now. But it wasn't until about a month ago that new allegations of sexual harassment came out against Tim Ballard. Then, just a few weeks ago, an attorney for the woman accusing Ballard spoke publicly alleging sexual assault and fraud by the man who was supposed to be rescuing people from human trafficking. Tonight, Fox 13 News has its hands on that complaint, and we've been combing through its dozens of pages. As Fox 13 News investigative reporter Nate Carlisle explains, the women suing Tim Ballard and OUR contend those trips they took with him overseas were not what they appeared to be. This is a photo of talk show host Glenn Beck with M. Russell Ballard of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and Operation Underground Railroad founder Tim Ballard. The two Ballards are not related, and Tim Ballard is the only man in this photograph named as a defendant in the lawsuit. Among the plaintiff's claims, Tim Ballard used the Mormon faith to manipulate people. I'm the bad guy in the story. I'm the bad guy in the story that rescued over 7,000 women and children. Tim Ballard has denied any wrongdoing. Neither he nor representatives of Operation Underground Railroad, or OUR, returned messages seeking comment Monday. The five women say they are Utah residents who work with or for OUR. The rescue operations typically involve first-class travel for OUR personnel, the lawsuit says, and in strip clubs and massage parlors, Ballard sometimes drank alcohol until he passed out. Our involvement with Operation Underground Railroad was rooted in our commitment to fighting against human trafficking. But while engaging in that noble cause, we were subjected to sexual harassment, spiritual manipulation, grooming, and sexual misconduct. The suit described a couple's ruse where Ballard and a woman he would go to cover. The women say the ruse became a means for sexual grooming, that Ballard would share a bed or shower with them. The women described unwanted touching and coerced sex acts. One paragraph in the suit says, Ballard would insist that the women stay silent about their alleged sexual encounters with him because if they told anyone, it would put everyone's lives at risk. On the ops mission, it was necessary to save the trafficked children and because he was blessed by President Ballard to be future president of the United States and then the prophet of the Mormon church. The behavior of Tim Ballard crossed the line and these women cannot remain silent. The plaintiffs say OUR and its board learned of Ballard's behavior, but it stayed silent in order to make money earlier this year from the film The Sound of Freedom, which dramatizes Ballard and the rescue mission. The five plaintiffs are asking for damages to be proven at trial. What we have here really is a modern archetype of Joseph Smith, grifting people for money, the stone in the hat, and also the Kirtland Banking Society, followed by sexual uh, grooming people, multiple faithful people based upon his supposed connections with Mormon leadership. It's like Joseph Smith all over again. Yeah, it is. In fact, Mormonish um, did an episode called Is Tim Ballard Using Joseph Smith's Playbook, Joseph 2.0? And those things you're listed are absolutely correct, even down to the search for the missing and kidnapped boy who was slippery, slippery like treasure and was never found, but always held out there as something that was eventually going to happen. This story is just so, so huge. We've all just been immersed in this for so long. I mean, it's just, just when you think it can't get any weirder, some other detail comes out. But to me, the most 
one of the most interesting parts is just the behavior of the LDS church throughout all this. And it all started with that statement to Vice News. Landon, this is what we got from that statement at Vice News. The Mormon church denounces Tim Ballard's morally unacceptable activities through a church spokesperson who said that uh, Tim Ballard betrayed his friendship with a powerful leader who never authorized his name or the name of the church to be used for Tim's personal or financial interests. This particular uh, denunciation was one of the most bizarre things that I have covered on the Mormon News Roundup, and it really left a lot of people scratching their heads. This was the church PR machine kicking into full stride. The, the church can't criticize OUR and Tim Ballard because they helped create him. And so instead they, they go through a third party, you know, Vice News had the, had the story. They were going to put it out. The church knew that. So they went into overdrive and, and immediately distanced themselves by putting this statement out to Vice News. But they didn't want to put it out on the church's websites and in the, in the church's uh, media. Instead, they wanted to do it through this third parties uh, with the article so that it, it separated them from the from the act. But boy, they immediately responded as soon as this article came out. Uh, and, and, you know, the stories are that he was excommunicated in the week, which when have you ever seen that? The guy the guy hasn't even been tried. He hasn't, uh, you know, the the allegations haven't even come out. So the church behind the scenes knew that this guy was was dirty. Uh, they knew and the fact that they're trying to distance themselves without Elder Ballard, and I think we'll get to that a little bit later, but Elder Ballard was up to his eyeballs in this mess and, and that church knew it. And that's why they acted so quickly, so decisively and in such a different way than they normally act because they knew that their leadership was involved in this mess. Yeah, here is Elder Ballard here in the middle. Again, no relation with Tim Ballard, along with Glenn Beck, who's another very popular and powerful Mormon. And the allegations are is that Elder Ballard repeatedly and persistently blessed off on Tim Ballard's activities. And that's just, you know, that's just caused a lot of controversy because, you know, you could say, okay, Tim Ballard, he went rogue. He's a bad member of the church. We excommunicated him. Okay, problem solved, right? Uh-uh. We had the we had Tim Ballard going to the highest level of Mormon power structure, the acting president of the Quorum of the Twelve, allegedly who was very involved, even financially profiting from the for-profit uh, aspects of the OUR. And that's what the pro that's the entire problem here is that M. Russell Ballard, he was involved right all the way up to the top, even supposedly being briefed on the missions that Tim Ballard was involved with. And M. Russell Ballard repeatedly brought Tim Ballard into devotionals, into his, uh, he went on tours with him. They were linked at the hip. Oh, they absolutely were. And he brought them to the Q15. Like you don't just get to go and talk to them, right? There's, there's all kinds of protocols and Tim was allowed access to share his mission and his story. So yeah, that was a big problem. And I'm sure that's why the church acted so quickly to say, Tim, Tim who? But unfortunately, we, oh, there's so, there's such a trail, right? There's such a paper trail that Elder Ballard himself was basically promoting Tim Ballard and encouraging people for example, like Russell Brunson and that video that came out, encouraging them to get on board, to donate money, to support. So to me, it was all hand in glove. And to me, there's there's enough evidence to, to say that with them, with conviction. <laughs> yes, these are not just spurious allegations. This no. is Elder Ballard. This is getting picked up by a, a lot of different mainstream press here, uh, uh, Landon. Elder Ballard gave Mormon tithing records to Tim Ballard so that he could bilk 
um, wealthy Mormon donors. I mean, that is absolutely reprehensible. And as you mentioned, Rebecca, you mentioned this. This was originally Russell Brunson, who runs, he's a multi, I think his net worth is like $50 million. He runs a big media company. And Russell Ballard contacted Russell Brunson, who connected him to Tim Ballard, and then he made the donation. So you're using your ecclesiastical office to prop someone up who is a really a confirmed grifter and sexual predator, bilking faithful, more wealthy Mormons out of their tithing. Uh, Landon, this is just the, 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 this is just unbelievable, really. It's a bombshell allegation, and it's been substantiated in a number of ways. Oh, yeah. He went right on YouTube and posted a video. I think he was trying to defend Tim Tim Ballard, and at the same time, he was throwing Elder Ballard under, under the bus because he was saying, no, he personally called me and brought me into his office and told me that Satan would be against, uh, would, would, would come out against me if I if I participated if I if I helped finance this, but I did it and I went forward. And and there's just so many backstories with Lynn Packard's investigation where the church should have known this. Lynn Packard was putting stuff out on the uh, on his newsfeed for months, uh, and the church should have known this, and nobody stepped in. And even today, we still saw. Uh, just a month or two ago, uh, OUR was speaking at yeah firesides, firesides to talk about sexual grooming and how to avoid that. <laughs> yeah, in Texas, we we can now realize that Tim Ballard he's not what he said that he was, and you could just write him off and say, okay, this is a bad member of the church. There's a few bad apples, but the problem here is that we have the LDS apostle accused of leaking tithing records to wealthy donors, as as we mentioned, Russell Brunson, he specifically made that allegation. There's been a couple of other allegations as well. Um, and this has been covered by Fox 13. Let's play this for you. Latter-day Saints is accused of violating church policy by sharing members' tithing records. Elder M. Russell Ballard is acting president of the church's Quorum of the Twelve. The accusation is part of a lawsuit filed by five women against Operation Underground Railroad and its former CEO, Tim Ballard. Tim Ballard is not related to President Ballard. The lawsuit states that Davis County investigators found out President Ballard and other, quote, authorities leaked the tithing records to OUR to help the nonprofit target wealthy donors. Tim Ballard says the accusation is not true. The lawsuit also accuses the church of continuing to promote OUR even after publicly condemning Tim Ballard earlier this year for, quote, morally unacceptable behavior. Today, the church told Fox 13 News they regard tithing records as sacred and keep them confidential. President Ballard has, quote, never released tithing records to Operation Underground Railroad or any other organization. This particular article combined with the James Huntsman article for me are very, very important. Number one, the James Huntsman, we have the church saying that we are not going to do this with your tithing. And then they went ahead and did this with your tithing. That's a big problem. Number two, we have the church, senior leaders of the church who are releasing tithing information to either third parties or reprehensible individuals. It, it's just... I, I, this really upsets. This is a really, really bad article. And, and it just really, it's really got my goat. <laughs> it is upsetting. And Landon and I kind of dug in on some episodes of Mormonish about tithing records and what happens to them. And we brought up um, Prop 8, you know, where wealthy donors seemed or wealthy members seem to have been somehow they knew they were wealthy members and they were able to contact them to donate to Prop 8. So there must be some mechanism in place to pinpoint the members that are paying a high tithe 
that we'll be able to support in other ways. And I think that's what happened here. I don't know exactly how it happened. I don't know, you know, if you know a record was handed, but I'm sure that there is information leaked down to levels where, you know, you can pinpoint those people that can help financially. Yeah, and Landon, the craziest part about all of this is the fact that shortly after this entire scandal hit, President Ballard, who was in poor health at the time, he passed away. So, you know, it's kind of crazy, but dead men, they tell no tales. Yeah, it, it seemed awful convenient at the timing on it. And it, the sad part to me is this year uh, for the church is I've actually had some active member people who, when Elder Ballard died, they said, you don't think that, you know, that this is active members who, who think, is that possible? Uh, so that tells you where the church's reputation has fallen as a result yeah. of all of these uh, th these issues that they've had over the last year. The story really tugs at the credibility of the senior leaders of the church and their ability mm -hmm. to discern between someone who is a grifter and a sexual predator yeah. and, uh, you know, asking other members to donate to him. It's, it's bad enough that you would prop him up in devotionals, sell his books at Deseret Book mm -hmm. and sell his speeches at the BYU bookstore. Now you're involving and asking other people using your ecclesiastical office to make donations to him. That's really beyond the pale. After President uh, Ballard uh, passed away, Jeffrey R. Holland, this is all part of our number two story. He has been installed as the acting president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. And he's been um, he's been set, set apart for this with absolutely no common consent once again. And, you know, the crazy thing about it is he was in a coma for three weeks before he was installed here. And he was in the hospital for five weeks. And he's supposed to be the acting president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles and help run a $300 billion mega corporation when he is allegedly in extremely poor health and kidney dialysis and has been in a coma. Although he seems to have bounced back. There is some question on social media about exactly how ill he has been over the past months. It all kind of started when there was a lot of um, pushback on him speaking at tell me again where it is, SUU? SUU, yeah. SUU. SUU, right. And it seems like right then the health started to decline or reports of re declining health through all this controversy and all these problems, but suddenly seems like he's rebounded quite a bit. So I well, don't know. If we covered this a couple of weeks ago when he dedicated the St. George Temple. If you take a look at the pictures that they released of him at the St. George Temple, he looks like he is in extremely poor health at this yeah. time. And yet he has been set apart as the acting president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. That's that's just, that's just that's amazing to me. Any last thoughts? Uh, Landon, can you give us the last words on Tim Ballard, Russell Ballard, this complete mess that really dominated the news cycle, I want to say, for about three months? Yeah. Well, we didn't even touch on so, some of the really bizarre things like the uh, psychic and talking to, to, to Nephi. And and uh, we know that uh, Russell Ballard, uh, that, that, that from the whiteboard conversation that they were using, that the whole purpose of the organization was to convert people to Mormonism. They were using child sex trafficking to bring people to Mormonism. Uh, there are just some really bizarre uh, incidents here. And then we know that uh, the Elder Ballard's son, uh, the same address that he does his business at, is where he set up Tim Ballard's for-profit organization. So there's a lot of ties here. We didn't talk about Sean Ray and the, the Utah Attorney General and the protection of power from the state government. This story just goes on and on and on. It, it, it is a wild story for the year.
It's hard to believe it, it's not number one. At, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be on Netflix. I'm pretty sure there's going to be like a 10 part documentary on this. There's no way there's not. And if it wasn't for the number one news story of the year, I would agree with you that this was number one. But I personally believe that the next story that we're going to list is the number one news story of the year. Now, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or on YouTube, can you give us a five star review? Leave us a few comments. Give us a thumbs up. We'd be very grateful for that. You can also find Mormonish. You can find the Mormon News Roundup on Instagram. You can find us on TikTok. You guys just launched your TikTok a short time ago. Our number one news story of the year is the SEC fine, the Security and Exchange Commission, the federal agency associated with regulating uh, you know, stock, the stock market people, brokerages, things like that, has fined the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints $5 million. This is absolutely unprecedented. The SEC does not go after churches. And the fact that the church got fined, that's just absolutely unbelievable. Let me give you a quick sum up of that. And Landon, let's get your re uh, first reaction. The Mormon church has just been fined $5 million by the SEC after they charged them with failing to file forms that would have disclosed the church's equity investments and for instead filing forms for shell companies that obscured the church's portfolio and misstated Enzyme Peak's control over the church's investment decisions. By going to great lengths to avoid disclosing the church's investments, the church has institutionally broken their own 12th article of faith which states a belief in honoring, obeying, and sustaining the law. This was the number one story because it was so huge in, in the impact that it had. First, it let most of us, uh, I think a few people may have known behind the scenes, but the, that this was intentional fraud. The, the, they got charged $5 million. And I know I've heard so many of the, the active members of the church say, that's nothing, that's just penance. This was the largest fine the SEC had ever levied against anyone for this particular uh, action. And it was like 10, 15 times what, what the previous fine had been for this. And it was because the church had specifically tried to not disclose this by making clone companies and hiding the money from the SEC so they wouldn't have to report it, uh, even though they were way over the limits that they had to report it. And so uh, to me, this just showed the complete lack disregard of the law that the church mm -hmm. had. They believe they're above it because they're a yeah. religion that they don't have to report. They could just go and, and defraud people. And I think the even bigger thing was so many people learned the value of the church, what its worth is. And I think that surprised everybody and especially the members uh, when they heard that that's where their tithing donations have been going for all these years. Yeah, Rebecca, this really took place last February in 2023 that they charged the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints for mismanaging, for failing to disclose their assets for a period from 1997 through 2019. According to the order, the church was concerned that the disclosure of its portfolio by 2018, which had grown to at least $32 billion and probably very much more, would lead to negative consequences. And those negative consequences were people would stop making donations. Yeah, and they're not wrong on that. Absolutely. Um, you have the Instant Peak executive coming out and saying, oh, we're afraid people will stop paying tithing. And that's that's exactly it. But Len is right. This shown a win, a light on just the levels that they're, they're willing to go to, to protect and to hide. I mean, after the fact, they said, oh, we got bad advice from lawyers or, you know, oh, we don't know. No, this is ongoing fraud for 20 years. We learned a new word, clone company, which means shell company. Basically, they set up these little companies that were just PO boxes so that they could file these little reports, you know, kind of just 
disseminating the wealth, right? The, the appearance of the wealth so that nobody could tell how much they had. But one thing that was interesting is they asked people within the church organization to sign off on these, to say that they were the manager of these. And so there you are asking your members to commit fraud. Two of the 13 people who were asked to do this and run these shell companies realized what it meant and they said no, but they were replaced instantly by two more people that would do what the church asked. This is fraud. This is putting your career on the line. This on so many levels, this just showed not only their incredible wealth that they've been hiding, but also how they're willing to operate above the law and ask their own members to be part of this. Yeah, and this really dominated the news cycle for an entire month, day after day after day. This was covered across the sea by mainstream media, by lots of news articles, because this is absolutely huge. I mean, people, they can't understand a James Huntsman lawsuit. Lots of people have sued churches to try to get their donations back. I mean, it's very technical. This is very, very simple. It's already been adjudicated. We already have a fine. And the, one of the craziest things about this entire situation is the church's statement, which they released on Tuesday, February 21st, which is the same day that the fine was levied and, and released the public and we don't have time to go through the whole thing but it's the last line landon that is the most important line that really really got my blood boiling because this last line is a slap in the face to every member who has ever paid tithing and it says here uh, quote we affirm our commitment to comply with the law regret mistakes made and now consider this matter closed on the first day it's closed landon Please. Yeah, that's that's the church. They they've spoken. They they've they've you know the Lord has spoken. It's closed. Members, you don't need to look any further into this. We we talked about the John Huntsman uh, case and and you know whether this turns to fraud. The very fact that the church is saying, well, if our members know that the money that they're donating isn't going towards what they think it's going for, they're going to stop donating. Therefore, we're not going to tell them. Isn't that the very essence of fraud? that you're trying to hide from people where their donations are going right. to. Uh, and then to just say, well, it's closed. We, th there's nothing further to be said here. We'll keep investing your money the way we see it, because that's the way the Lord wants it to be done. Uh, I think this has infuriated a lot of members, even members uh, who are in good standing, I think are standing back. And, and you've seen a call for people to say, hey, don't donate to the church. Instead, give to some organization that you know is actually helping and, and doing good with the money. And, yeah. and there's kind of a movement that started to do that. Yeah. And Rebecca, you know, the thing about it is when it comes to filing your 13F forms, it's a federal law that you need to disclose those. And the church didn't do so for a period of approximately 22 years. And the crazy thing about this is, do you know who else didn't disclose their 13F forms or fraudulently uh, filed them with the SEC? Bernie Madoff. So what we have on one hand is one of the most, uh, one of the biggest fraudsters of all time concealing his 13F forms. He actually filed them and made them lower than they were supposed to be so that the SEC wouldn't find out that he had $20 billion. And the church at the same time is in, is doing this uh, a similar thing of fraudulently filing their 13F forms. Bernie Madoff knew what they were doing and the Mormon church knew exactly what they were doing. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It's important for everybody to know who has what in the stock market. That's a very simplistic way to look at it. But what's interesting when they say the matter's closed, they said it on the first day. Then a few months ago, we find out they did it again with the DMBA 
pension fund. They have what, $14 billion there in the stock market that they are not disclosing. Now there's nothing wrong with holding that pension fund. I have money in that pension fund because I used to work for BYU. So what is this systemic need to not disclose? They easily could have disclosed. Nobody would have thought anything about having that money in a pension fund, yet it's coming out again. They did not file and they didn't disclose it during the whole SEC fine. You would think the judge would have said, is there anything else? Or it would have been a time for the church to say, you know, there's also this other. They did not. They're hoping that it's not going to be found, but it was yet again. And and don't forget beneficial life. Beneficial life also briefly for a period of time went over the $100 million threshold. That's the church's uh, life insurance policy, which the church still has. They're not, uh, you can't buy a new policy, but all the people who bought their policy, the church is going to honor them. The church also went over the $100 million threshold slightly a couple of times with that as well. So we've seen a pattern of the church misrepresenting its assets to the federal government. And at the same time that this is happening, don't forget that Roger Clark, who was the head of Enzyme Peak, he had his own investment companies who always filed the 13F forms properly and on time. And yet when he's managing the church's assets, he doesn't do it on time. The church wants to obfuscate. It wants to hide its wealth from the world so that people will continue to give donations to the church. And what this fine really brought to a wider, see it, people who are insiders knew all the way back in 2012, how much the church was worth. Thanks to the Truth and Transparency Foundation, Ryan McKnight and Ethan Dodge, and the initial whistleblower who tied the IP addresses back to the church. Okay, But it wasn't known to a wider context until the SEC fine came out. That's for sure. And this this whole thing, you know, these aren't a bunch of old men make pawning off inv- investments to some lower management. This is the A team of legal people. We have, you know, we have someone who was uh, up for the, possibly for the U.S. Supreme Court in Oaks. We have business professors at Stanford, uh, all part of the first presidency. We have uh, Kazi as as a huge international finance person. You've got the A team of financiers out there and they can't file the, the, the form right. It's just an administrative mistake. There was no doubt this was intentional. This was led. This was purposeful deceit to hide the money from the members. Right. And not everybody follows the news and sees the SEC's latest filings. But what really brought it to an even wider audience is a lot of people watch 60 Minutes. It's a juggernaut. It's well-respected. And we had Mormon whistleblower Church's investment firm is masquerading as a charity. And that's really um, where we got the interview here with one of the church's senior leaders here, Bishop Waddell. And this is really the only interview of any substance by a senior church leader the entire year. That's why this is the number one story. Let's play this trailer for you and get your reaction, Rebecca, to Bishop Waddell. Every year, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints collects $7 billion in contributions from its 17 million members. The church has its own investment firm. But there are questions now about how millions of those dollars have been used by the famously private church. What about, you know, the idea that secrecy builds mistrust? Mm-hmm. Well, we don't feel it's being secret. We feel it's being confidential. <laughs> um, Rebecca, what is the difference between being <laughs> confidential and being secret? I, I can't seem to find a delineation between the two. 
No, I'm looking it up right now. They seem to be synonyms. I don't know. But you know what? It's just what you have to tell yourself to make it work. Yeah, this was a very revealing interview because he sat there and he said things like that. And people were like, oh, interesting. Uh, pointing to the fact that there really is no answer. There's no defense for what they're doing at all. And so it's a fascinating interview just to see the wordplay, the mind games that they're trying to play with everybody when it's very obvious that the matter is not closed fraud has been committed. You can spin it however you want, but the facts will out. <laughs> yeah. And Landon, I know that both of our podcasts have covered this in great detail. You did an entire episode on the church's response to the SEC fine and that, and debunking that. And we also covered it on the Mormon News Roundup as well. In fact, I, I really believe that this is probably our greatest episode. No offense to anybody out there, but episode 60, we covered this in, in depth with Colby Reddish and Ryan McKnight. We're the only ones who got Ryan McKnight on this. Not even Mormon Stories got him. And he was the initial one. Without Ryan McKnight, there is no David Nielsen. Without Ryan McKnight, there is no SEC fine. And we had him on for almost three hours. It's one of our best episodes. And I know you covered this as well. I mean, this 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 article was so important this year. And I was just glued to it every single day. I just I was obsessed with this article, Landon. Yeah, I think everybody in in at least the post-Mormon world was as well, because every it, it was like the Tim Ballard case. It just every day came out with new information that just just made you go, oh, my gosh, you know, they've got people signing records uh, that don't even know that they exist. They, these that the church is really putting its members at risk by doing this. And mm -hmm. and then this grew out to several other uh, things, the Canadian whistleblowers and the, 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 the Australian tax deductions that was being pushed through charities. Uh, it just grew and grew, and, and we were finding out so many new things. So, yeah, this absolutely was the biggest story in, in Mormondom over the last year. And, Rebecca, the church released the statement once again following the 60 Minutes, which I find to be very remarkable. Let me read the statement to you, get your reaction to it. It says, the church believes in being financially responsible by carefully ensuring it has adequate resources available to fulfill its divinely appointed responsibilities. To church members who support the work of salvation through living the gospel of Jesus Christ, caring for those in need, inviting all to receive the gospel, and uniting families for eternity will continue to, prov uh, to move forward consistent with the gospel of Jesus Christ, which makes this world a better place. It's unfortunate that 60 Minutes sought to elevate a story based on unfounded allegations by a former employee who has a different view on how the church should manage its resources. So uh, they didn't deny anything. They didn't say that there was one clarification whatsoever. Nobody got any facts wrong. Uh, no, unfounded allegation. I know. That, <laughs> they can just say what they want, but that does not make it true. However, saying what you want does appease and calm down the active member, right? The people that don't want to look into it too deeply. They're just like, oh, they said it was fine. It's fine. It is close. So those are who those statements are meant for. The rest of us hear those statements and say like, Landon, unfounded. You've got to be kidding. But it's complicated. It's convoluted. You do have to dig deep. And with these reassuring statements, it just seems like all is well in Zion and you're not going to look farther. But I kind of feel, I mean, this is a way I think they've been able to operate for a really long time. And it's only in maybe the last 20 or 30 years that you have people, the people you've been mentioning, that dig in, that report things, things, you know, the internet, that normal people can look into things and, and give their opinion on it. And so I think they're still operating in a way that worked for them before. They can't now. Too many people are watching across the board. 
Yeah, the biggest thing, Landon, I'm going to let you have the last word on the 60 minutes and the SEC fine. But the biggest thing that we got from these is a couple of things. Number one, we know that the church concealed its uh, its vast wealth. But number two, the allegation from David Nielsen is the following, that the church did not use that wealth in almost any meaningful way whatsoever. When tithing donations come in, a lot of it just sits in an investment fund and it grows billions of dollars. And that fund has not been used for anything of substance except for building a mall, which again, that's the James Huntsman. That was a fraudulent, that, that, that could be considered fraud or the bailing out of an insurance company. And everyone is you know, really upset that the fact that we gave donations to the church, we thought that those would be used to alleviate the human suffering on this planet, but instead all it went into was a big hedge fund. And that's, that's really peeling back the onion on that. That upset a lot of people. What's your last word on the SEC fine here, Landon? To me, the biggest story is the complete contempt the church has for its membership and that they don't care what the members think their money's going for, or what it should be used for. Uh, it's what they think it should be used for. And they just seem to have a complete contempt for anybody knowing what they're doing. So a couple honorable mentions here. Uh, number one, the fact that you guys were snubbed from that $200 per plate dinner. Is that an honorable mention? What do you think? I think so. Yeah, we tried to go to, well, first we found out that Elder Rasban was going to talk at this fundraiser. Um, we did a whole episode on that on Mormonish and with the RFM. Um, we got invited, uh, we went, and then we were uninvited. So that was interesting. They did not want us there, but fun to dig into. That's an interesting story. Anyone who saw this went, what? You have to pay to go see an apostle? <laughs> what is this? Okay. Or how about number two was the inspired relaunch of the Mormon Review, Mormon Movie Reviews channel every Monday night at 9.30 p.m. You can enjoy an old LDS cinematic classic along with your humble host here. For me, that's also an honorable mention. And Rebecca, you've helped me review a couple yeah. of films which are going to be released onto there. Yeah, 100%. I want more people to know about this because these are incredible episodes. I've been a co-host several times. Your favorite old Mormon movies and your and the little episodes that you used to watch, the seminary films, things like that, reviewed, talked about. This is stellar content. I'm so glad that you're bringing this out again, and I encourage everybody to watch it. It is hilarious, and it's a trip down memory lane, hopefully not too triggering. But yes, check it out. Absolute honorable mention. Yes, and also, Rebecca, another honorable mention would be the relaunch of the Mormon oh. Stories Book Club. That's uh, that's back yeah. up and running, isn't it? What are you reading this month? It is up and running. We are reading McKay Coppin's uh, biography of Romney. That's very exciting. We are reading an autobiography of D. Michael Quinn that was kind of found on his computer. He wrote it himself, and his um, son has written an introduction, and it's called Let's see, A Consistent Path, I want to say. God, I can't believe I can't remember the name of it. And we're reading also a book called Uncultured about a cult in South America. So check us out on Facebook and see what we're reading. And then we have live episodes on Mormon Stories podcast. So really fun. Okay. And our last honorable mention of the year was what, back when Landon got that haircut. He looks pretty good there, doesn't he? <laughs> Now yeah, somebody just needs to give him. Someone just needs to give him a razor. Then we'd have a real, a real article. I mean, he yeah. cleans up pretty well. Yeah, but he's going for that mountain man look. Think I think now, aren't you, Landon? It's I feel like me the whole year to grow it to this. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know well, how I just rugged think... that is. <laughs> looks good. Looks good. I just landed just with a little foundation, take the shine off, maybe a touch of eyeliner. <laughs> Nobody will know. It's you. We could improve your look. We could get you there, Landon. That's right. You're a pro. Okay. <laughs> so, guys, I, I do need your honest feedback here. Uh, what is uh, the most important story? And for those of you in the live chat, go ahead and cast your votes at this time. Oh, but before we do that, guys, are you thinking celestial? I'm just checking in with you. 
Oh, that was one of the creepier memes that went around this year, uh, wasn't it? Oh, my goodness. I noticed that you dodged the question. You refused to answer. That seems very yeah. safe. But um, I always think, see, I have an alert on my phone, guys. Every 15 minutes, it says, think celestial, sends me a text message. <laughs> Keeps me in the right mindset. And, you know, the, I also have an alert every 20 minutes that says, keep sweet, pray, and obey. <laughs> so, you know, You're I keep covered. myself in the... Yeah, I keep myself in the right mindset all the time. It's it really does wonders. I should do a whole podcast on that, but I, we don't have following time for that, two yeah. different prophets at the same time. That's really impressive. Well, and they couldn't because those words are over, right? Once the prophet's gone, so you need to take that alert off. Are you trying to tell me that the prophet's words don't age like a comic books? Yeah. That seems like that's, that's what, what I'm trying to funny. allude to in classic cars, and we well, heard it. Yeah, especially Warren Jeffs. Uh, there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess he's he's still living and and running his jailhouse ministry, so that's a little disturbing. Well, I don't see much of a difference between the two messages. That's why it just always keeps me in the same mindset. I guess that's just the way that I approach it. I'm, I'm on a lower plane than you guys. That's why I have a far less subscribers, I suppose. But anyway, <laughs> um, the top 10, for, uh, cast your votes in the live chat for those of you out there on YouTube. And um, let's, Landon, did I get the top 10 right? Was this uh, from number one article, SEC find all the way through a new apostle? Were they in the right order? Did I leave something off? What's your frank evaluation of the top 10 Mormon stories of 2023? I actually agree uh, wholeheartedly with the list. I don't think I'd change anything. Uh, absolutely, SEC fine has got to be number one as far as global, national, changes inside the church, changes outside the church, the SEC fine. I think the Tim Ballard story, although interesting and weird, uh, d doesn't have a direct impact on the, the, the church membership and, and uh, the way the church behaves as much as the SEC fine did. Wow. I really appreciate that's a resounding endorsement, but I am prepared for uh, criticism. So if I didn't get it right, Rebecca, did I get it right? Or did I leave anything off? How was this year in Mormondom? No, I thought you absolutely got it right. And as we went through the stories, I was thinking, oh yeah, this one's big. Should this be number one? But then we'd get to the next one, right? It was hard to remember. So much came out this year. And so you're right. When we were discussing Tim Ballard, I thought, shouldn't this be number one? I had forgotten the SEC. You're absolutely spot on with that. That is the most relevant and important story with far-reaching, I think, consequences for everything. And I think we'll see more about that also in the new year. So I think you got it spot on. You did it again. <laughs> Birds of a feather. Now, just remember, guys, one does not simply apply this lesson in our daily lives. You know, that's a, at the end of Sunday school. How do we apply this podcast to your daily lives? I'm not going to ask you that. I won't insult your intelligence. But uh, we really appreciate this uh, collaboration between the three of us. You know, I think we've done a good job of summarizing. This has been a crazy year in Mormondom, and we're going to continue watching it both in the Mormonish podcast and the Mormon News Roundup. And uh, remember, remember, we need to say the uh, the tagline of this podcast together. One, two, three. Our truth be told. Truth be told. That's it. Oh, no, wait. No, oh, you can't say that. Oh. <laughs> We practice this, guys. Let's try this again. One, two, no, three. Our truth, Our truth be told. Be told. No, no, <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Wrong podcast. I'm on the wrong podcast. Sorry You're about that. You're on the wrong, wrong page. That, no. Oh, okay. no. That's something My, else. Okay. okay. Living a joyful life on the other side of Mormonism, right? That we can okay. agree with. Yeah, yeah. we can say okay, that. Okay. Yep. Wrong podcast. Sorry about that. But uh, do remember, remember that no unhallowed hand can stop this podcast from progressing. So long. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Mormonish. We really appreciate our listeners and would love to hear from you if you have a story you'd like to share. You can email us at mormonishpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and on our website, mormonishpodcast.org. 
And don't forget to look for us on YouTube and like and subscribe. Keep joyful, everybody.